It's good to see you here at Freedom today. Again, welcome. Thanks for being a part of worship. And for those of you who are joining us online, uh, we're so glad to have you be a part of Freedom online. Uh, Thanks for taking time to tune in. Uh, I know not everybody here was able to be with us last Sunday evening for our first joint worship service with Grace and the Union. But for those who were here, it was a a really great night. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have just never been more grateful for and appreciative of all of those who lead us every week in worship uh, as they led us Sunday night. I don't know if everybody can fully appreciate what all they put into preparing for a Sunday morning, but there's really not any role that anybody volunteers for in the church that's more requires more commitment and that's more time-consuming than what these guys do every week. The amount of personal preparation that they have to do and then the commitment to rehearsal time together every week and then coming in early on Sunday morning and then being willing to stand up here in front of you and to seek to worship while they lead you in worship. It, it takes a, a real gift and a real commitment to do that. So thank you to all all of you guys who, who do that every week. And Chloe, are you in eighth grade now? That says a whole lot. As she was up here leading us this morning and last Sunday night, and I think, I'm 50 years old, and I wouldn't have the guts to stand up here and sing into a microphone in front of you, and you can give thanks to God for that today, that I will not. But uh, how awesome that God's at work and our young people. And Chloe, thank you for, for not being afraid to jump in with a bunch of old men and uh, <laughs> and bring down the average age several years now. You guys do a great, a great job. Well, today, uh, as I have told you, we are now... Shifting gears as we're continuing in this series on the unseen war. We are we, we have dealt with of the three different realms of warfare that we have to deal with in life. We have spent quite a bit of time talking about the struggles that we have with flesh and self. And last Sunday we spent time talking about warfare with the world. If you weren't here last Sunday, you may want to go back and uh, do a little rewind, go to the, the archive online and check that out because there's some relevant stuff there for you. But now for the entire month of October, we're going to press into dealing with that third realm as we talk about dealing with the demonic. And I realize uh, several things as we begin to do that. Uh, for one, some people are really attracted to that subject and some people are absolutely repulsed by it. Some people, when they hear that, it's sort of like being a single person and hearing the pastor say, we're going to spend a month spend a month talking about married life. You know, The single people will always tell me at times like that, I don't think I'm going to be around for the next month. Well, some people hear we're going to be talking about dealing with the demonic and spiritual warfare, and they're like, oh, I wish I could just skip that. I don't want you to have that mindset at all, because this month is going to be good news from start to finish. Because here's the deal. Life's just hard. How many of you would agree with that? That life is harder than you expected it to be. It's crazy that in ways it's better than we deserve, and yet it's so much harder than we expect. You ever just stop to wonder why your life at times is as hard as it is? I mean, we know sometimes life's just really hard because... We're foolish and we're broken and we make poor decisions and we put ourselves in bad situations and so we make life hard for ourselves. And sometimes life's just hard because we live in a broken world. Everything around us is broken. I mean, you get that, don't you? 
If you're married, you're married to a broken person. If you've got kids, you've got broken kids. If if you've got a house, it's broken and things continue to break down. The the economy is broken. Our, Our nation is a broken nation. That's not putting us down. Every other nation on the planet is broken. The... The scripture is clear. The earth itself cries out for redemption. The weather is broken. You know, we're, we're watching the weather going, oh goodness, here's another tropical event that's, that's headed our way. Life is just hard because we live in a broken world where bad things happen. And that's part of the equation. It is far from being the entire equation. Part of the reason that your life is so hard is not just the brokenness of the world. It's not just the brokenness within you. It is because of the presence of personal, powerful evil that is intelligent and it is targeting you. This is not paranoia. This is the teaching of Scripture. This is not some fringe expression of Christianity. This is not some extremism. This is middle-of-the-road, fundamental Christian theology and understanding of life to recognize that the basis of of our worldview as Christians is to understand that God is the righteous king who is the head of a kingdom to it as the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of light and that it is constantly in conflict with another kingdom it's the kingdom of darkness It's not an imaginary kingdom. This is not an archaic way of trying to explain away the brokenness of man. No, it is a very real thing. It has a head. It is a very organized structure. And it has great power. And we live in the midst of the conflict between these two kingdoms. Now, the way that actually fleshes itself out in our day-to-day experience is not real complicated to understand. The hard things that you experience in life. And if we had time today, we could poll everybody in the congregation. And if we're honest, everybody here comes with a list of troubles and struggles. For some, depression that just cannot be defeated is the biggest struggle that you have in life. For some, it's fear. And no matter what you read or who you go to for counseling, you just can't seem to conquer it. It's a debilitating problem. For some, it's just guilt and shame. And it's just like an ugly cloud that you just have over you all the time. For some, it's physical pain. For some, it's sickness. We could just go on and on with the things that we carry with us. For some, it's relational brokenness. You can't get in a relationship without it becoming dysfunctional. The other person looks so good until they get connected with you. And then suddenly it's chaos. It's dysfunction. And the thing that we have to understand about that is, while some of that is tied to our brokenness and our flesh and the brokenness of the system around that, a significant portion of those things that really do have staying power, that can't be cured with medicine, That no matter how good a counselor you get referred to, they can't get you over the hump to get a handle on that. Oftentimes, those kinds of abiding problems are evidence of the fact that there is a demonic assignment, there is a demonic attachment, and medicine cannot break a demonic attachment. A bunch of things won't break a demonic attachment that we'll try. Counseling never does it. I'll tell you more than that. Going to church won't do it. Reading your Bible won't do it. Saying your bedtime prayers won't do it unless you, do, unless you know what you're doing when you pray. 
just doing life and being a good person won't get you over the hump because it doesn't have the power to break those attachments. So the good news this month, and this is not false advertising, I want you to know this. There is freedom for everyone under the sound of my voice. But you're going to have to put some things in practice. It's not complicated things. This is not advanced Christianity. This is not beyond you. This is fundamental stuff that every believer can put into practice and walk in victory. I'm really excited as we move into this season because there are some people who have been so burdened with sickness or pain or depression or guilt or fear or shame. And this is the month that that's going to be broken. As it's never been broken before. There are going to be relationships that have been in so much turmoil. It's felt like hell on earth at your house. And there's going to be a breakthrough. Because demonic spirits that have been just stirring that up. Are finally going to be identified. And they're going to be sent packing. And you're going to know peace in your relationship. Finally. Through the power of God. But I'm telling you. This is critically important. You've got to come back. Next Sunday and the next. Those are going to be the two pivotal Sundays. If you've got to be out one of those Sundays, you're going to have to go online and listen. Because the things that we'll talk about today is foundational. It's very important. You can't skip what we'll cover today. But the things you've got to put in practice, the next two Sundays, you've got to be here. So I'm telling you that in advance. Because some of you are going to discover that more than any other time this year, there's going to be more roadblocks to you getting back to church over the next two Sundays than any other point along the way because there is an unseen evil and the last thing that he wants is for you to know how to be free so everything you can imagine is going to get in the way of you being here the next two Sundays. So let's just go ahead and decide we're going to move heaven and earth if we have to to make sure that we get in on what God has for us. Because quite honestly, there aren't a lot of people talking about what we're going to be talking about this month. There aren't a lot of places equipping us to be free. So we want to press in on this. You ready for that? Let's get after it. We're going to start with Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6 is kind of the spiritual warfare chapter of the New Testament. As Paul shifts gears in Ephesians to a warfare mindset, he says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. I want you to read that line together with me. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Okay. Take a look to your left and take a look to your right. And just remind yourself, particularly for those of you who are married or in love, that is not the enemy that you're seated next to. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So who's the enemy? But against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. What's the name of the series? The Unseen War. Because we're fighting against the authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the historic world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Many have said, and I believe it's the case, Paul is not just saying the same thing four different ways. Paul is spelling out for us the rank and file of the demonic hierarchy that is raised up against us. And he's saying we need to understand the battle that we are in. So as we begin to turn our attention in this direction, there are three things that as we dive into this, that I want to make sure that you walk away today understanding and operating from a a clear knowledge of. And the first one is this. You have to understand. I have to understand. we, We must grasp our own personal vulnerability in the area that we're talking about today. Now, I've taught on spiritual warfare a bunch of times in different environments to different groups. And 
consistently the most frustrating thing that I run into is Christians who will listen to all that you have to say and just kind of smile and nod their heads. And when it's all said and done, they just go, well, I'm just so glad I don't have to worry about that because I'm a Christian. Seriously? That, that is the most common response that I ever get to teaching on spiritual warfare is, I'm just so glad that that doesn't affect me since I belong to Jesus and they can't get to me. Yes, it is wrong. That, that would be the equivalent of someone saying, well, you know, I got saved. And I'm so glad that I'm a Christian now. And I can just go out there and be as promiscuous as I want to be as many times with as many people as I want to be. And I don't have to worry about pregnancy or STDs because I belong to Jesus now. And those things can't get to me because I'm a Christian. And we would look at you and say, you are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You are out of your mind. You're going to be messed up. And you running around going, I'm just so glad that I'm a Christian and it can't touch me because I belong to Jesus. And we're going to be like, you are going to be eaten up with junk. Thinking that God is showing us in the natural, and he does this all the time, a spiritual reality. If we run around saying, I'm going to be fine because I'm a Christian, it doesn't protect you at all. In fact, the enemy loves for Christians to think that and say that. Because then they can just have carte blanche with whatever they want to in your life, and we just think it's something else. And so we never address that root problem. So we have to begin with an understanding, this happens to me. The things we're going to talk about all this month happen to every one of us. And don't be misled by the craziness of Hollywood to think that because you've never lived in the middle of the exorcist or the poltergeist, that you've never come in contact with the demonic. You have more times than you can imagine. There's probably never been a day of your life that you haven't come in direct contact with the demonic. And I'll go a step further than that, not to freak you out. But there are plenty of people under the sound of my voice who probably have never lived a day of your life without a demonic attachment because of generational curses. And if you've never learned how to address that, which isn't complicated, it's not advanced Christianity. But if you've never found out how to deal with a generational curse, there are some people, they've never known a day of life that they didn't have that influence affecting how they think and how they feel. It was there from the time they were born. Good news, we get to be free from that. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 8, Be alert. Now, who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. To Christians, be alert, be on watch. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion. Another translation says prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. In our... Multiple trips to Africa, we've always had encounters with lions. They look so cool on National Geographic, they take on another dimension when you are boots on the ground in remote parts of Africa. You look at them differently. They aren't cool, beautiful, big kitty kitties. They are, they are the most frightening creature on earth when you, when you see them in the wild. 
And Peter, trying to give us a picture of who it is that we're dealing with, thinks of the fiercest animal in the wild. And he says, you're a real enemy, the devil. You better be alert, Christian. You better be on the lookout all the time because you have an enemy, an unseen enemy. And by the way, he has countless minions who look and behave like him. And they are always lurking, always prowling, always looking for an inroad, a way to get involved in your life. And the result that he's pursuing is what, according to Peter? This isn't a trick. What's he looking to do? That's right. He's looking to devour you. He's not the little red character on the deviled ham, you know, can with a little pitchfork. I'm going to pull some little devilish trick on you. No. He's looking to do what a lion does. He's looking to destroy you, to devour you. He wants your marriage to go down the drain. He wants you morally bankrupt. He wants you sick. He wants you in pain. He wants you separated from your kids. He wants your kids suffering from disease, getting pregnant. He wants them to commit suicide. You imagine the most horrible things that your brain could conjure up. Yes, rape and murder, those come from his heart and mind. That's the plan he's working out. Peter's not trying to be dramatic when he says, Your enemy is like a lion. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour your children. So you better wake up, Christian. Be alert. Be on the lookout all the time. We need to hear this in the church. Because if we, I'm just going to say this straight up, I'm not out to hurt your feelings, but we have got to wake up. If we took time, and I'm not going to do this, but if we just did a little checkup and said, I want you to turn to your neighbor on the right and on the left, and I want you to ask them to tell you honestly, how how often do you engage in spiritual warfare praying where you take authority over the enemy and you make him get lost from your life and you take authority over your family and your household? When's the last time you did it and how often do you do it? We would be appalled at what we would say as a church. Because Christians do not live, most of us do not live on alert. We don't live as though we are aware that we are in a world where we constantly have to deal with this. On a daily basis where we have to take authority if we're going to walk in freedom. And so Peter says, come on Christians, wake up, pay attention. You have an enemy. He's a a prowling enemy and he's a roaring lion enemy it's interesting that he uses both of these images that don't line up with one another your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion well that those two pictures don't line up do they because the roaring lion is big and bold you know everybody be afraid of me but the prowling lion is a different thing we've watched them do that man i've watched a pride of lions spread out around their prey and man they are just they, they blend in with the grass. You have to look hard to find them. And they are so quiet and they move with such stealth that it's just you would hardly know they're there. And yet they are just so deadly. They're waiting for their moment to pounce on their prey. In one sentence, in one phrase, he gives us both of these images of our enemy when he's big and he's loud and he's strong. But he gives us this other image where he's stealthy. And it's important that you understand both of those. Because the enemy loves to use both of those tactics, and he will change tactics based on culture. In Western culture, 
and by that I mean Western Europe and North America, in Western culture, his primary tactic is stealth. He is the prowling lion. Just as dangerous, just as deadly, but he is laying low and he is blending in. What he is seeking to do is to always make sure that his forces are just beneath your radar. So that you never attribute what's going on to the real enemy. So that you never pray against it, you never take authority over it. And they're just as deadly, they're just as involved, but they're blending in. That's their primary tactic in Western culture. If I took you into other cultures, whether it be the islands of the Caribbean or the Pacific Rim, if I took you into Africa, if I took you into some of these other places, you will see that his tactics are the opposite end of the spectrum. He works from a power position. He is a roaring lion. When we minister to people in those nations, it's just it's mind-boggling. Lost people, non-Christian people will come forward and they'll ask for help. They'll ask for deliverance. And when you begin to interact with them through a translator, they can tell you that they have a demon or demons. And many times they'll tell you the day that they got them. They will tell you what the witch doctor did on the day that that demon was invited in and what it was supposed to bring to them for their good. As you'll see today, the enemy that we deal with, he is powerful. He's powerful in whatever culture he operates in. But in certain environments, they operate from a position of wowing the people. And they gain influence because the people want that power. They're, they're sort of afraid of and in awe of that power. And yet in other cultures like ours, it's like, I'm not sure I've ever run into anybody who had a demon. I'm not sure you've ever run into anybody who doesn't deal with demons. You've got to understand different tactics for different situations. And some of you are going to think I'm cuckoo when I tell you this. But I wish that I could take every one of you to some of the places that we've been over the years to see the reality of of the demonic. Not because it's enjoyable. It is not. It's a joy to see people get set free. But... It's gross to actually just witness the powers of the kingdom of darkness put on display. I can remember as a younger Christian hearing missionaries who've been into these cultures describe things that went on and thinking, I respect these people. They're they're Jesus-loving good people, but I think they're lying. I think they're stretching the truth. Because they would talk about things that they've witnessed. That people who are demon-possessed, and particularly who are really into the black arts and supernatural powers that they possess, that I'd just be like, now come on, you've been smoking a little wacky weed or what? You know, I'd have a hard time believing that. But I'm telling you, you go into those environments and you see people do impossible things. You see, I mean, like, one of the favorite parlor tricks of the enemy is to get people who are really deep into this the power to levitate off the ground. The power to, you know, run up a wall or do things that are physically impossible to do. They give them superhuman strength. I've witnessed these kinds of things that you think, I'm not sure I can go back to the States and tell anybody about that. Because they're going to think we're crazy. And it's funny because we'll take Americans in who it's their first time in Africa or someplace like that. And I will never forget one year we went into a very dark place. The, The village that we were next to was just that was completely dominated by witch doctors and just the powers of the kingdom of darkness. And we saw kingdoms absolutely in conflict. We saw things on a scale that that read like they're they're straight out of the pages of Scripture. But, I mean, within the first 24 hours, there were such open 
you know, power-driven dem- demonic manifestations, we had faithful church folks coming wide-eyed going, we got to talk. we got to have a meeting. you got to tell us what we're supposed to do with this. We've never seen this. It was demonic powers just openly manifest. And it's like, you don't have to be afraid. Yes, we'll get together. We'll, we'll talk about what to do. Because th- it started dawning on people, the stuff that's on them, if we help get them set free, and we don't know how to deal with that, it's likely going to want to leave them and jump on us. And people heard that and they were like, can we go back to America now? You know, it's, it, it feels scary when you haven't had to walk through that. I'm telling you that just to say it's equally real in every country, though the tactics are different. Just because you've never seen anybody's head spin around doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with this reality. You on the same page with me? All right. Finishing the passage. He says, be firm in your faith and resist him because you know that other believers in all the world are going through the same kinds of sufferings. What kinds of sufferings? The kinds of sufferings that happen when you have to deal with demons and all of the garbage that goes with that. So the two things that we'll say from that is, one, everybody has to deal with demons, especially Christians. For the person who's still going, I'm just not sure about that. I just don't feel like Jesus would let us have to deal with that. Well, let me put it this way. In the Old Testament... At least in his generation, there was nobody on earth more godly than Job. Scripture is very clear about this. That's why he was targeted. There was nobody more righteous than Job. And I think it's safe to say, you probably are safe. You don't have to worry about anything as long as you don't mind Job being the measure of how much the enemy can do in your life. If you feel like, I'm protected. Because I'm a godly man, I'm a godly woman, I belong to Jesus, so the enemy can't do anything to me. Well, the enemy probably can't do anything more to you than he did to Job. But you might want to remember what he was given permission to do to Job and what he did to Job. First, he murdered all of his children, and he had a bunch. And then he killed all of his servants, but three, he had a bunch. And then he killed all of his livestock. We had thousands of those, just completely destroyed his wealth. He turned his wife against him, turned his friends against him. And then he destroyed Job's health so that he was in absolute torment and misery. But, I mean, as long as you don't mind that, the enemy doesn't really have much room in your life to do anything. But if those things would bother you, then you probably should pay attention. Because that's how much the enemy, how much rope the enemy was given in the life of a righteous man. I'm not saying that to frighten you. I'm saying that to say Peter's not being dramatic when he says, wake up, Christian, be alert, be on the lookout. You've got to deal with this. Your brothers throughout the world are having to deal with this. You've got to be equipped. The other thing I'll say is, in understanding your vulnerability is, realize that demons will seek to piggyback on our fleshly struggles, illnesses, and tendencies, as well as our circumstances. This is where it seems to get complicated in in our trying to diagnose and understand what's going on. Because there can be a, um, a tendency to run to one extreme or the other. And we tend to be just this way in life, that we're like a pendulum swinging between extremes. And we, we will tend to oftentimes start out in the extreme of, I just don't like thinking about demons. And I just I don't want to have to deal with that. And so I don't let my mind go there. And then you begin to be alert to the issue of spiritual warfare. And the pendulum swings to the other end. And suddenly everything is a demon. Oh, I'm late for work and I can't find a parking space. The devil's just so against me today. I'm not sure how the devil got into that equation. I don't think the devil parked any cars today. You know, let's don't be stupid about it. 
Every hard thing that happens in your life isn't the devil. We don't have to find a demon behind every bush. But do understand that the enemy loves to piggyback on the difficult things that you face in life. And, and like I said, this is where it gets kind of complicated. Because I'll just give you some for instances. You have an accident, for instance. And it causes a lot of pain. Maybe you have to have surgery. And the pain never goes away. They fix what was broken. They fix your back. They fix your neck. They fix the whatever. And from all the x-rays and the scans and everything, it's like, well, we've put it back in order. But the pain will never subside. Well, originally, the pain was completely in the natural. It was totally in the realm of the natural. There's a physical cause for this. But if the enemy found some kind of legal right into your life, and we'll cover that next week, how the enemy finds legal rights in, how we remove those so that they have to leave. But if he's found a legal right to come in, the kingdom of darkness loves to send in a spirit of pain or a spirit of infirmity so that you have a pain that cannot be overcome. Medicine can't fix it. Surgery can't fix it. Drugs just cannot overcome it. Now, they'll encourage you to just take more and more drugs to fix that so that you get in bondage in the flesh as well as in spiritual bondage. You see how those things piggyback and they just begin to stack on top of each other. They'll work off of our natural weaknesses. I mean, they're, every one of us, we've got fleshly weaknesses. And we don't want to stand up and testify what those are, but we've all got them. You know what yours are, hopefully. And the enemy doesn't cause all of that. But when you understand that there are demons that have been watching you, keeping track of you, that they understand what you've struggled with. They know where you failed. And so they go to work on those areas. If you've had an area in your life where you feel like you've just failed on, a, on an epic level, beyond what most of your friends have ever done, the enemy loves to send in a spirit of guilt and shame to constantly remind of that. Remind you of that. Oh, you're one of those people. You're a divorced person. God doesn't look at divorced people the way he looks at anybody else. You had an abortion. You're a murderer. God looks at murderers differently. In fact, he didn't let murderers in his family. And he just begins to whisper those lies in your head. Now, the truth of the situation is you belong to God. That's been forgiven and you're no different from anybody else. But because of your experience in the natural because of your past the enemy wants to piggyback on that and to just keep a cloud of guilt and shame over you for the rest of your life you're such a loser you're such a you know fill in the blank and they just do this in so many different areas because of struggles and issues in the past in relationships the enemy will be coming in trying to sow doubt and distrust and conflict over those things so they love to piggyback on these things and we're all vulnerable so we have to be alert to that. And we have to be wise in how we deal with these things. Because that then begs the question, so how do I discern what's going on here? Well, some of it is a matter of prayer and, and listening for the leadership of the Holy Spirit to guide us into what to deal with. And sometimes it's just using the good sense to address this at all levels. I had a counseling session with somebody recently. And um, they were late to the counseling session. Because they were leaving their secular therapist and were in the process of making their appointment with their doctor. And all three of us 
were seeking to address the same problem in their life. And you might say, well, boy, that person's a hypochondriac. No, it was somebody being very wise. They they were realizing a, a lengthy, difficult problem, which could be explained in, you know, somebody's life. It could be as a result of hormone levels. It could be the result of relational issues that they need help working through. And and it could be explained through demonic activity. And they just said, I don't want to leave any base uncovered. That's why I'm here with you. I want us to make sure that there's not any ground for the enemy to hold on to. I want to make sure if I'm out of balance, my doctor helps me get in balance. And if I'm still hung up on stuff from the past, I want my therapist to help me deal with that. I'm thinking, that's a smart Christian. You're addressing the clinical and the spiritual. And I want us to be clear on that on the front end. It is a foolish person that trusts completely in one but not the other. If I've got blockages around my heart, I want a good doctor. I want you praying for me. But I'm telling you, if I start having a heart attack, I'm not rushing to Freedom Church. I'm going to Thomas Hospital. Jack, you'll send out the email for you to pray. I want a cardiologist. And you praying. I want to cover both bases. So don't, don't be foolish about this. Don't be these folks that everything's got to be fixed by our therapist or fixed by our doctor. But don't be the person who thinks everything's got to be fixed by our pastor or by a spiritual fix. We need to understand. We are a reflection of the reality of who God is. God is one God, but He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You reflect His image in that you are a body a soul and a spirit. And so we have to address things at all of these different levels. Make sense? Moving right along. The second thing that we have to understand is we have to understand our enemy. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, So that Satan will not outsmart us, we are familiar with his evil schemes. For some of us, that's been our problem. The enemy's been three steps ahead of us because we don't understand his schemes. So I'm going to very quickly rattle off for you 12 different things for you to understand about your enemy. If you're going to overcome an enemy, you need to understand some things about him. And so I don't want to give him any glory today. Nothing that I'm saying is designed to lift him up. It is designed to give you a blueprint and a clear understanding of who he is and how he can be overcome. So 12 things I want you to understand about your enemy. Number one, the devil and demons are just angels who were cast out of heaven for rebelling against God. They're not humans who died before you and went to the bad place. They are another order of created beings. They are just like the angels of heaven who serve God now. But they are half their number. They took part in a rebellion that happened at some time in the distant past. They followed one of the archangels named Lucifer who sought to overthrow the rule of God, the throne of God. And as a result, that third of heaven were cast out. Revelation 12 describes this when it says there was a war in heaven that is hard to imagine. But there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels. Michael is one of the archangels of heaven, one of the highest Authorities in heaven underneath the the reign of God. And he fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were not strong enough. The dragon and his angels lost their place in heaven. It was thrown down out of heaven. This giant dragon is that old snake, the one called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world in the wrong way. The dragon and his angels were thrown down to earth. Thus the conflict that we live in the middle of. He was... He failed in his rebellion against God and was cast. He and all of those who took part in the rebellion were cast out of heaven. They were cast down to earth. 
and on earth, they, they know they have no chance against God. That, that's been tested and they realize they have no chance of winning against God. And so their best option is to control as much of planet earth as they can and to, to wreak as much ha- havoc and harm on the children of God as they can. They, they can't get to God himself But they understand that God has made this multitude of people for himself, for his own family. He's made us to be his sons and daughters. And if you can't get at the Father, if you can't get to the King, kill his kids. Hurt his kids. Keep his kids in bondage. And that's why we deal with what we deal with. The second thing to know is demons always try to deceive and harm us to hinder God's work in and through us. I won't take time to walk you through all of those passages, but they just point out that Satan is the father of all lies, that the devil is a, is a thief. He wants to steal, to kill, to destroy. You just, there are so many examples we could give from the Gospels of, of what their work looks like, of making people sick, of making them blind and mute. And uh, of it, The example I've given you there, the passage in Matthew 17, it's a father who comes desperate because his son is demon-possessed, and as a result... He has seizures again and again. And in these, in these seizures, he frequently will be thrown into the water or thrown into the fire. These are attempts at self-harm. They're demonically driven. It's just a glimpse into what a wicked enemy we deal with. The thing we have to understand is there is no room, no room at all for dabbling with anything that's black magic, the dark arts, any of that stuff. I've heard Christians say, oh, you know, that, that's good magic. That's the, the Wiccan. Those are, those are good witches. I want to tell you, there's no such thing. There are two sources of power. There's power that comes from God and within the kingdom of darkness and there's power in the kingdom of light and there's power from the kingdom of darkness we we don't want connection to any power from the kingdom of darkness it's always designed for our harm and so we're careful to never focus on angels or demons in terms of what the focus of our faith is i've heard christians that just get obsessed with angels and and they it just gets weird it's just because angels are here with us can i tell you what drives that most of the time by the way is a desire to connect with the supernatural without having to deal with the holiness of God. We feel, in our minds at least, sort of safer connecting to the power of the angelic. Which, by the way, you realize when we're talking about demons being angels, they're they're angels that have been cast out, you, you realize what powerful beings that means that they are. Have you ever just paused to consider, of all the different angelic appearances in Scripture, what's the first thing that almost always has to come out of an angel's mouth when they appear for a human to see them? Yep. That's pretty much always the opening line. Don't be afraid. Don't freak out. It's okay. Why do they always have to start with that? Apparently because their appearance makes people go, (gasps) thinking, I'm fixing to die. Yeah, they're, they're those kinds of powerful beings. So we don't want to be obsessed with angels or demons. Number three, demons have specific assignments and individual functions, and their names will often correlate with their function. That's not always the case. I mean, for instance, we know the names of a couple of angels that are faithful to God, that are high up in the, the chain of command. Gabriel, Michael, those are, those are just sort of normal names. 
And sometimes demons will have just as ordinary names as any of us have. Many times they will have names that reveal their function or their assignment. Shame. Fear. Lust. Anxiety. I'll tell you a big ugly one that I've had to deal with multiple times in helping people get free. Self-hatred. Many times their name will reveal their function. You may think, well, why does that even matter? Well, I'll tell you, I I understand part of this. I don't fully understand it. And I'm just confessing this to you on the front end. As much as I've studied it and had to deal with this in ministry and in life, there are things that I have come to know through experience and through the wisdom of other people who have helped in deliverance ministry that sometimes you've just seen that it works and you can't even fully understand understand or explain why it works and so i try and make sure that when i'm teaching in here on a sunday morning that we're real clear that everything is centered on the word we're going to seek to be that way about this series but there will be some moments where i'm going to tell you some things that have just been learned by experience and i can't point you to a verse that says and here's how i can prove that and how i know it's the case i'm just going to give it to you anyway and and you spit out the bones and keep the good meat If I say something that doesn't line up for you, you can spit it out as a bone and it won't hurt my feelings. So here's one of those things. I can't give you the verse to prove it, but here is what I have observed and many others have observed. There are going to be occasions when you're dealing with a demonic stronghold. There's something that's been there for a long time. And it doesn't come out. It's not broken in the first 60 seconds or the first five minutes that you're coming up against it. These are more the exception cases that you don't have to hopefully deal with a bunch of times in life. But these are the ones you've had to press in and press in and press in. And and you don't know why, but it hasn't been shaken loose yet. And when you really are getting into the nitty-gritty of warfare and you're taking authority and you just cannot get this thing to yield yet, when you get to the place that... In the name of Jesus, you take authority and you force that spirit to name the the ranking spirit in this situation. Because a lot of times in these tough long-term situations, there will now be a nest of them. There will be more than one. And you are now needing to address the ranking spirit. When you force him in Jesus' name to name himself, their power is broken. It's, it's, it's odd, but somehow in having to declare who they are when the ranking spirit has to identify itself, usually you are within 60 seconds of, of that person being set free. I mean, I mean, I've seen it happen where it has taken us months to press in and see somebody who has been in deep darkness be just radically set free. And you, you just are thinking, what is it going to take? And when you finally get the ranking spirit to declare its name, they know it's over at that point. It's like them saying uncle at that point or tapping. that They are fixing to have to go. So anyway, do with that what you will. It just There's not a verse to back that one up, but I'm telling you it's the case. Number four, demons don't have bodies as we think of them, so they seek to inhabit bodies of humans or animals. They can't appear for us to see. And, and, and by the way, just as an aside, I don't know why. God gives us different abilities. Some people apparently have a different capacity for recognizing and even seeing the demonic. Don't, don't be obsessed with that. Don't be like chasing after that. But don't be freaked out if God gives you an ability sometimes to just see and recognize the presence of something. And it usually won't look like another human, but 
but sometimes people will see that. But they, they long to inhabit a body. Um, there are multiple examples that I could give you, but for instance, in Matthew 8, when Jesus cast the multitude of demons out of the, the crazy man named Legion, he was crazy until he got set free, what did the demons immediately beg to be able to do? Please send us in the pigs. Don't, don't make us cut. You know, Jesus said in a teaching that we'll return to in future weeks, he said when a spirit is cast out of a person, it passes through dry regions where it finds no rest. And it's miserable, and so it will seek to return to its original host, and it's going to bring back up when it comes back. So they're always, it's like, it gives the impression like they're feeding off of their connection to us. So, uh, for what that's worth. Number five, demons are numerous and often operate in groups, as you see in the case of the man possessed by a legion of demons, or Jesus in Matthew 12 talking about when a spirit is forced to leave, how it will try and bring back seven more with it to establish a greater stronghold. Number six, demons can have territorial assignments. They're not random is the thing you just need to grasp. They can have personal assignments, and they do. Of this you can be sure. We love to think about the positive side of this and talk about, oh, our guardian angel or whatever. And you hate to think of of what that is a positive reflection or the counterpart to. Is if God has assigned an angel as protection for you, you can bet that the kingdom of darkness has assigned a spirit not to protect you. That there's a spirit who has your name assigned to them. Possibly numerous ones. Sometimes their assignments are to a person. Sometimes they are to a place or an object. Sometimes it's to a region. You can bet there are spirits with assignments to Freedom Church, to Fairhope, to the Eastern Shore, to Baldwin County. And so that that should impact how we pray, particularly if you have an assignment from God to provide spiritual covering for a church or for a region. Seven demons are often passed down from generation to generation within a family. I won't go into that since we'll talk about that next week. But what, it, it seems like a baffling thing when you read in passages like the ones that I've listed here where God talks about the sins of the parents being passed down to the children, even to the third and fourth generation. And on the surface of that, you just go, oh, that's so cruel. That's so unfair. Why would God punish grandchildren and great-grandchildren? It's not God being cruel to those grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It's God acknowledging that he's created a world in which there is an order that allows for blessing or cursing. To go down the family line. That means you live as a godly man or woman who practices the, practices the things, particularly that we're going to talk about this month. There is a blessing that will flow down that will be a covering for your children and your grandchildren and even your great-grandchildren. But the reverse of that is true as well. For some of us, there are things that our parents or grandparents or even great-grandparents did that opened a doorway for a stronghold, generational curse from the enemy to come into our family line. And if nobody along the way ever discovered how to engage in spiritual warfare or how to just simply cut off a generational curse, it's not complicated at all. It got passed from one generation to the next, usually either at birth or at somebody's death that it got passed to the next generation. I can tell you there's a bunch of people in the room who've had to live with that. Demons love to be able to just hang on for years and hold on to a family line. We'll go into that next week, how that's broken. And it's funny how okay we are with talking about that in terms of genetic um, traits and, you know, well, I'm just genetically predisposed toward this disease or toward alcoholism or whatever, and yet we freak out and go, well, that, that wouldn't be fair. 
if you inherited something spiritually, but it's how it works. Uh, eight, demons vary in power and always operate under a higher authority. There's a bunch of passages that, that we could point to. We'll return to those later. Nine, uh, demons possess superhuman power. Legion could break chains, could not be bound with chains. Pharaoh's magicians could do about half of the miraculous things that God enabled Moses to do because they do possess supernatural power. And it's the appeal of witchcraft and of channeling. I mean, it, let's get honest. There's probably not a person under the sound of my voice that hasn't at least at some level felt just some attraction to just want to try out that fortune teller. To just have your palm read one time. To just go to that person who does the whole channeling thing just to see if it's for real. Do you know why it's appealing? Is because the real ones, the dangerous ones, have tapped into supernatural power and it ain't the power of God. Number 10, demons are extremely legalistic and go only where they have permission or legal rights to go. This is a key point to their defeat. As we'll dive into next week. This is how you're going to, it's a key piece to you getting free and staying free, is removing their rights so they can't come back. Um, the, the whole thing that I alluded to earlier, when Jesus is casting the demons out of this man, and they're begging to go into the pigs, because they can't go there without permission or legal right. Well, they already suspected they had a legal right, because Jews aren't supposed to be raising pigs, not, not at this point in history. It's an unclean animal. So they're like, there's already an open door here. Just tell us we can go. Satan couldn't bring the things down on Job that he did until he had God's permission to do it. They're very legalistic. Number 11, the biggest tools used by demons are fear and ignorance. So the more we put our heads in the sand and go, la, 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 I don't want to hear about demons, the more they're going, yeah, that's exactly right. Don't think about it and it won't be a problem. And they love to just operate out of fear. Keep us afraid of, of them and what, what they might do to us. Or what, what if there's one in my house? You don't have to be afraid of any of this. They are the original terrorists, by the way. Terrorism is a reflection of their work. Finally, number 12. Demons must submit to Jesus' name and yield to his victory on the cross. These are your ultimate weapons. The name of Jesus. The victory of Jesus at the cross of Calvary. Paul said in Philippians 2, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They understand. They understand the authority of Jesus. They understand the power of Jesus. By the way, those are not the same thing. When Jesus sent out his followers in Matthew 10 and in Luke 9, he said, I am giving you both power and and authority over disease and over demons. You know the difference between power and authority, don't you? A person with a badge has authority. A person with a gun has power. You give me a wimp with a badge and no weapon, and he's, he's got authority but not much power to go with it. You know, bad guys aren't going to run from him. You give me a big strong man with a badge, a gun, and a stick, and he's got power and authority. Jesus said, I give you the badge, the stick, the gun, and the muscles. And they're invoked when you call on my name in submission to me and you bring to bear my victory. And that's the last thing that I want you to recognize is you must understand your position of victory in order to be free and to be healed. 
Now, not every sickness, not every problem is demonic, but there are a bunch that are. And we're going to be talking about not only being set free, but experiencing healing in our lives. And if you're going to experience either, you're going to have to understand the nature of the victory that is yours. It is not a victory that you win through your effort. It's not a victory that you win because you go to church. You are stepping in and declaring the victory that has already been won at the cross. And part of what I love reading in the Word is how clear our enemy is on the total victory of Jesus and those who come in his name. When Jesus arrived on the shores of Gadara in Matthew 8, a man who has terrorized an entire region and now lives naked among the tombs and can't be bound with chains and everybody runs at the sight of him. And yet when Jesus shows up, do you want to know what begins to happen? The demons are screaming through his voice, Jesus, don't torture us ahead of time. Don't do it to us. Please don't do it. It is submission. It is fear in the face of power, authority, and victory. And when a son or daughter of God, I don't care if you're a newbie Christian, I don't care if you've been saved 15 minutes, I don't care how many times you have or haven't been to Sunday school, if you just learn what it means to be submitted to Jesus, depending on Him, knowing it's not about you and your strength, it is that you are a channel of His authority, His power, and His victory. And so we walk in and say, Ben, in Jesus' name, we take authority over anything that the enemy would raise up against you. We declare it's bound in the name of Jesus. We bring the victory of the cross of Jesus to bear in Ben Graham's life and we declare every spirit that's been assigned to him from the kingdom of darkness is now bound. Their ties are broken in Jesus' name. Now go. The enemy's not looking around to see how big and bad I am. He is cowering going, oh no! It's Jesus! It's the name of Jesus! It's the cross all over again! It's our darkest day! And that's exactly right! Be gone in Jesus' name! You have that power. There's no magic in that. And by the way, I get it. I'm a little fired up right now. But you don't have to be. You don't, you don't, I know I'm, I'm in preacher mode, but you don't have to be in preacher mode. Because it's not, a, it's not a, I gotta get as fired up as the preacher was on Sunday. No, you don't. Just as cool and calm and quiet, you bring that same thing to bear in your life or in the lives of those who are under your authority. Let's look at what the Word says. We started off with what Peter said about being on guard. He follows that verse by saying, But after you've suffered a little while, and there is some suffering. The enemy causes some suffering. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who calls you to share in His eternal glory, read the next line with me, in union with Christ Himself. See, it's not, it's not your power. It's in union with Christ Himself. He will perfect you and give you firmness and strength and a sure foundation. To Him be the what? Be the power forever. It's His power. That's why it's all about my union with Him because it's His power. If you need me to set you free, you are doomed. Because every demon of hell is stronger than me. But I'll tell you what. If you believe Jesus can set you free and you're willing to turn to Him, there's nothing that can't be broken. It's our union with Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 6, finally, build up your strength, what? In union with the Lord and by means of what? His mighty power. I think it's all about Him. 
put on all the armor that God gives you so that you'll be able to stand up against the devil's evil tricks. And then when the evil day comes, you will be able. Everybody say, be able. You will be able to resist the enemy's attack. And after fighting to the end, you will still hold your ground. I don't have time to teach this. I'm going to say it fast. The whole book of Ephesians may be the most powerful book in the New Testament. It's summed up in three words. Sit, walk, and stand. Watchman Nee wrote a profound, tiny little book on it. It's a life-changing book. It's called Sit, Walk, Stand. The first three chapters of Ephesians, it's all about the word sit. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Christ has done everything for our redemption. And he has sat down now having completed that work at the right hand of the Father. And now he causes us to be seated with him. Everything begins at rest in what God has done for us. So that part two of Ephesians chapters four, five and the first half of six. So that you can now walk worthy of him in the world. He talks about how you live your life at work, in your marriage, in every part of your life. You now from a position of rest are empowered to walk worthy of him, to live worthy of him. And then he gets to the final section and the one word that sums up everything he says about spiritual warfare is stand if you read it especially in the niv over and over and over stand stand firm them after you've done everything else stand 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 this is your command in the army of god ready set stand what kind of command is that Feel like Ernest T. Bass when he's joined the army, you know, clean your guns, jump in the truck, forward march, you know, give me some military command, sick them, go get, no, ready, set, stand. What does that mean? It means you're more than a conqueror. You don't have to fight a battle that's already been fought 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem. The victory is won. You stand on the ground that's already won. I've heard people that just get all fired up and, oh, devil, we're sending you right back to hell where you came from. He ain't been there yet, so you're going to have a hard time sending him back. Jude says that Michael, the archangel, whenever he was sparring with the devil, wouldn't even bring a railing accusation against Lucifer. He said, the Lord rebuke you. He understood who he was dealing with, and he understood we stand in Jesus' victory. And that's what we do. We don't get big and bad against the devil. We just declare, Jesus has defeated you. And we declare his victory. In Jim's life, Jesus has died for Jim to be free. So we just stand in the victory of Jesus. We just declare that the blood of Jesus covers Jim. And that every stronghold that the enemy would bring against Jim is broken in the name of Jesus. All the victory of Jesus is now invoked in Jim's life. And the enemy gets that and is going, no. Because the power and authority of God are unleashed with that. Paul sums it up in Romans 8 when he says, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory. Everybody say those words with me. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. This isn't a one-point win pulled out at the end. This isn't Texas coming back on Oklahoma yesterday in the final minute with a field goal. This is 62 to 7, they never had a chance kind of victory right here. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither what? 
Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell itself can separate us from God's love. The enemy is going to say, God doesn't love you. You're a failure or a reject from God. God would not forgive you for the hundredth time of doing that when you've asked a thousand times to be forgiven. He's sick of you. And Paul says, not true. You're overwhelming victors. You're, you're more than conquerors because you belong to God. You are loved by God. Jesus did this so you can walk in victory and nothing can separate you from the love of God. No amount of lies from the enemy. No amount of shame talk and guilt talk from the enemy. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's good news. So we close with a simple word. Submit your lives then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. There's no maybe. There's no probably. You want to know what's got a 100% win rate? It is practicing spiritual warfare in the name and the authority of Jesus standing on the victory of the cross. I don't know what your struggle is. I am 100% sure of this. If you will put into practice what we are talking about, beginning with this one fundamental truth, there's a 100% chance you'll be set free. It always works. But it always starts with this. You must submit to God. You don't get access to the power of the name. You don't get access to the victory of the cross. The blood of Jesus does you no good until you submit to God. That means getting to a place of saying, God, I'm a mess without you. I need you. I don't get to come to you on my terms. I'm coming to you declaring I need you in every part of my life. doesn't mean you just get to give him the place that's broken in you. It means you just go, God, I need you to take all of me. The good and the bad and the ugly and the, and the messed up. And friends, this is where we have to start. I'm going to be honest with you. You need not come back next week or the next if you don't put into practice what we're landing on today. Because I don't have any tricks for you the next two weeks that are going to do you any good if you don't submit first to God. Because His victory isn't yours until you are His. So would you join me as we turn to Him together in prayer? Jesus, how we need you. Why don't you just tell him that from your heart? I need you, Jesus. If that's, if that's where you are, tell him. I need you in my life. I need you in my relationships, in my work. I just need you. Why don't you confess to him whatever's broken, whatever's messed up, whatever's bound up. Don't tell him how much better you're going to be or how much harder you're going to try. Just give it to Him. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my my broken mind. I give you my bad habits. I, I just give you all of me. My kids, my, my longing for marriage or kids or whatever it is. I, I just give it all to you. And I ask you to have your way and to change me and to set me free. Maybe you're at the place you've never before surrendered your life to Jesus. What would stop you from doing that today? 
why don't you just, if in your heart, just say a simple prayer with me that says, Lord Jesus, I know I'm broken and I need you. And I'm inviting you to come in and take control of my life. I'm asking you to forgive my sins and to give me a clean slate. Give me a new beginning. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers that are offered to you in the strong and matchless name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, We would love the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.